This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. You have four days to sign up at Patreon to get a eulogy from me. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 276th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. The location that I'm going to be featuring on this episode was suggested to me by Patricia Gross, who's going to be visiting it next month. I'm looking forward to hearing what she thinks about being at the actual location and if she has any experiences here. This location is the Shank Mansion, and it's found in Indiana, and it is one of the most gorgeous mansions I've ever seen, so I'm excited to share it with you. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Craig, Jessica S., and Jessica B., Patricia, Marie, Brad, Janae, Yvette, Megan, Christy with a C-H and a Y, Leo, Austin, Maria, Dewey, who is really Anthony, wink, wink, and Nikki, who spells her name with two K's and a Y. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you. When this episode drops, October is right around the corner. We are so excited for October, aren't we? It's anniversary month for History Ghost Bump, and it's Halloween month. We're going to have a lot of great things going on. We're going to have the viral trick-or-treat for those of you in the Spooktacular crew. We're going to have all kinds of drawings for those of you who are a part of the Losers Club. We're going to try to squeeze in another cemetery bingo, and there will be extra episodes of History Ghost Bump on the free feed because we're going to have the anniversary show, and then we'll have the Halloween episode as well. I've been getting a ton of stories that are your personal experiences for that episode. Continue to send those in. I can't wait to share them with the listeners. If you want to get in on the fun and be a part of the HGB Losers Club, you just have to be donating at the dollar level or above either at Patreon or PayPal, and you get to come in. We have a lot of fun in there. I was just up at St. Augustine over the weekend, shared a bunch of live videos from there, and the first bonus cast that I'm going to be putting out in October is going to take you all along on the ghost train in St. Augustine. But you can only get that if you're an executive producer at the $5 and above level. So come on in and join us. So come and join the executive producers in the cemetery. And if you're still around come Christmas time, you get a Christmas card that'll be coming out to you as well. All right. Now on to this moment naughty. (music) 
Victor's Way is an adult contemplative park found near Roundwood, Count Wicklow, Ireland. The privately owned nine-hectare garden is full of paths and black granite sculptures and was dedicated to cryptographer Alan Turing. The sculptures found in this park are quite unusual. Eight of the statues feature the Hindu elephant god Ganesha during various doing various activities like reading, playing instruments, and dancing, and there's even a small pint of Guinness next to one of them. One of the Ganesha statues has a little mouse standing behind it in street clothes, complete with baseball cap and fanny pack. One of the creepier sculptures is named the Fasting Buddha, and it basically is a skeleton in the lotus position. There's a large python-shaped seat and a young male statue that has its head split as an icon to indecision. The Shiva Lingam is a large finger pointing to the sky. The ferryman's end is creepy looking too, featuring a man whose relative skin and bones in murky water up to his chest and appearing in great distress. For a contemplative park that should bring one peace, Victor's Way sure has some creepy and disturbing statues, and that certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history. In the month of September, on the 12th, in 1940, four teenage boys exploring a fox den near Montignac discover the Lescou Cave. The Lescou Cave contained murals with a menagerie of animals, including enormous bulls, horses, and deer, and there was one rare image of a human. The artwork numbered 600 pieces and was dated back to the Paleolithic period, circa 18,000 years ago. The paintings covered the walls and ceiling. The teenage boys who made the discovery were Marcel Rivada, Georges Agniel, Simon Cohenkaw, and Jacques Marsal. It was decided to open the cave complex to the general public on July 14, 1948. The cave was a huge draw for tourists, and by 1955, the paintings were suffering damage from carbon dioxide and humidity that was generated by the 1,200 visitors per day coming to see the wall paintings. Added to this was fungi and lichen that began to spread across the cave walls. It got so bad that the cave was closed to the public in 1963. The paintings have since been restored to their original state and are monitored daily, but no one is allowed to visit save for a couple of scientists on occasion. The Lescou Cave is considered the finest of all prehistoric painted caves made by Cro-Magnon's man and was named a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1979. The former Benjamin Shank Mansion in VV, Indiana is today known as the Shank Mansion Bed and Breakfast Inn. The two-story Second Empire-style mansion has over 8,000 square feet of living space and is furnished with antique and reproduction furniture. The home was built over 144 years ago and has had multiple owners and served a variety of purposes. Today, it not only welcomes guests, but reputedly is quite haunted. Join me as I explore the history and hauntings of the Shank Mansion.
Vivi, Indiana is a traditional small Midwestern town situated along the Ohio River. This episode is dropping right before October begins here in 2018, so I would be remiss if I did not mention their Sleepy Hollow Festival, which is going to be on October 13th, and it features booths, costume contests, pumpkin carving contests, and a scavenger hunt to find the head of the Headless Horseman. That sounds like a great time to me. I don't know if Patricia Gross is going to be there over October 13th, but if she is, I hope she checks out the festival and sends us some pictures. Vivi sits in the southeast corner of Indiana and was founded by Swiss immigrants in 1802 as New Switzerland. For this reason, it was named after the Swiss town of Vivi. The town was incorporated in 1836, and one of its claims to fame is that it had the first commercial winery in America. So even though it's this small little knockabout town in Indiana, imagine the first commercial winery was here. That's amazing. The town also served as a busy port city. It was here that Benjamin Shank decided to build his mansion. Benjamin Franklin Shank was the son of a wealthy hay king during the steamboat era named Ulysses P. Shank. Ulysses had been born in Switzerland and his parents immigrated to America when he was young and he got into merchandising. He used steamboats to move his products up and down the river, and in 1854, he built the Switzerland Steamboat with his brother. This went on to serve on the Union side of the Civil War as a gunboat. He got his nickname of Hay King because he bought and sold large quantities of hay. Benjamin was born in Louisville, Kentucky on November 3rd in 1834. He went to law school at Poughkeepsie, New York, and was admitted to the bar, but decided law was not for him, and he joined his father in the mercantile business. He added the purchase of the VV Weekly News to his business holdings in the 1850s and edited it for several years. He also manufactured ink with a partner named John Henry. Benjamin began work on his mansion in 1874. And he'd not only made a lot of money just because of his own business dealings, but when his father Ulysses passed away, he inherited a large sum of money. So he had plenty of money to build this glorious mansion that he's going to build. And he constructed it on a hill, which has given it a nickname that people call it to this day, House on the Hill. Or should we call it Hill House? (laughs) The design was Second Empire, and the architect was George P. Humphreys, who was out of Cincinnati. The total cost of the construction was $67,000. The Second Empire style was very popular after the Civil War, and the Shank Mansion has several prominent features, which includes its square four-story tower, dormer windows, and the mansard roof. And I love these mansard roofs. Whenever I see them, I just get a little, I don't know, flutter in my heart because I just love the look of them. They're very, very cool. The house had 35 rooms and five bathrooms. And keep in mind that we're talking a little bit after the Civil War here. So for a house to have even one bathroom, that was quite a luxury, especially if it had running water in that bathroom inside your house. Now imagine you've got five of them. The running water that was in the house was supplied from a reservoir that was located on the hill. The bathrooms also had the added luxury of a bathtub, all of them, and they were all walnut cased and copper lined, and they still are to this day. There was central heating with a gravity hot air system, and the lighting was all gas throughout the house. Unbelievably, the Shanks designed the mansion with its own carbon generator to manufacture that gas. The mansion also featured four porches, seven balconies, eight chimneys, 13 fireplaces, over 50 windows, and a summer kitchen at the far end of the house. 
You're thinking, this is southeast Indiana, and I know you can kind of have some mild winters there. I don't know exactly what you mean by mild, being that I'm from Florida, but I wouldn't think you'd be sitting outside a whole lot, but they had plenty of places outside to sit with these four porches and seven balconies. The roof was made from slate, and the exterior trim was fashioned from tin. The interior was as gorgeous as the exterior with the shutters and trim all originally faux-grained. There was a butler's pantry that had shelves, 26 drawers, and cupboards of various sizes from floor to ceiling. So this house, especially in Indiana, was the epitome of luxury. And you can imagine that it was the talk of this very small town. Benjamin was very excited about this house, and he loved this house. He had designed it specifically in the way that it was built because this is the way that he wanted it. Unfortunately, he's not really going to get much of a chance to enjoy it. By November of 1874, his health began to deteriorate. I can't find any specifications about what that deterioration in his health could be, but he was told to go to Florida for a while, so he and his family spent the winter and spring in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm thinking if somebody's been told to go south and they're a younger person, maybe we're talking about tuberculosis or something. I'm not sure, but obviously it was somewhere that they thought if he went to a more humid climate that didn't have cold winters and snow or anything like that, that it would be more preferable to him. They returned to Vivi in the summer and the family was able to spend that summer and the next in the mansion, although it was not finished being constructed. The family returned to Florida in 1877 and Benjamin died there in April at the young age of 42. He never got to see his home completed. His wife Celestine lived in the mansion intermittently until her death in December of 1885. So she really didn't get to enjoy it for a long period of time either. The Shanks had three daughters, and they held on to the mansion until 1923, but it was mostly abandoned through the early 20th century. In 1923, they gave the mansion and the 65 acres around it to the Indiana Baptist Convention. The church eventually returned it back to the family. So in 1945, the mansion was sold to Clarence and Lulu Wiseman. And they were going to use this not only as their home, but also as a clubhouse for the Switzerland County Saddle Club. There was so much room in this house that they rented out the entire second floor as a tenement. Major T and Ruthie Jester bought the home in 1966, and they sold off the land around the property, save for six acres. There was this long driveway, and at the end of the driveway, the Wisemans had put in a trailer park, and so they sold the house to the Jesters, but the trailer park was treated as a separate entity, and they sold that to Irving and Lynn M. Wilson. The next owners were Burrell C. Farnsley and Alexander Sandy Spear of Louisville. They bought the property in 1972, and they were the first ones to really begin restoration efforts on the house. Not only did it need some updating, but during the time when it was abandoned, it got wrecked around quite a bit by local people who vandalized it and such. In 1981, they gave up their efforts to restore the house and sold the property to their friend, Mark C. Miles, and he continued restorations and then put the mansion up on the market, and it sat there for several years, and then it was bought by Jerry and Lisa Fisher in 1998. And they completed all the renovations in 2000. So it was all updated. It was ready to go. And they opened it up as what it is today, the Shank Mansion Bed and Breakfast. They also got rid of the trailer park and landscaped the property with terracing, a patio, water features, and a vineyard. The current innkeepers are Steve and Jenny. 
I've also heard that Lisa Fisher pops in and out. So I'm not exactly sure how this all works because the website that goes with the bed and breakfast kind of leaves it with Jerry and Lisa Fisher being the owners. But then when I looked on TripAdvisor to check out what people thought about it, a lot of people were talking about Steve and Jenny. Irregardless of who's running what or who owns what, the people that are taking care of this property are doing a marvelous job. Not only is it gorgeous, but I've heard that it is one of the best bed and breakfast that you can stay in. A lot of people were commenting, I've been spoiled. I don't think I can stay in another bed and breakfast because this one has been so phenomenal. Everything else is going to be less after this. So I'd never thought about going to VV, Indiana, but to stay in this bed and breakfast, I might just make a special trip. And the fact that it's haunted, I mean, what more can you ask for? A great bed and breakfast that's comfortable, historic, with great service, wonderful food, and ghosts, I'm there. The restored mansion was placed on the National Register of Historic Places and features reproduction period wool carpet from England and Scotland, but also modern amenities like air conditioning, flat screen TVs, clock radio with docking for iPods, and there's Wi-Fi. So it just gets better and better, right? The music room was on the first floor and is now known as the Wiseman Room. Four of the other guest rooms are named for members of the Shank family and several contain canopy beds. I just love that. And as I said, the reviews on TripAdvisor rave about how great this place is to stay. And I don't know, it seems to be so comfortable that some spirits have decided to make it their home in the afterlife. There are claims of upwards of six to seven ghosts residing in this inn. A lot of what we hear reported about this bed and breakfast is what we hear about all of our haunted locations, especially inns, and that is disembodied voices and footsteps. I have to say, with all of the hauntings that I have heard about, all of the different locations that I have covered on this podcast, the thing that always seems to be a constant are these disembodied footsteps. They seem to be everywhere. I would be willing to go out on a limb and say this must be the easiest way for a ghost to present itself, is to be walking around. So guests report hearing these disembodied voices and footsteps. They also see shadow figures in some of the rooms at night. There's a lady in white here who haunts the second floor. She seems almost to be residual as she just floats through the hallway and doesn't seem to take notice of anybody. They try to get her attention, try to talk to her, and she just completely ignores them. I haven't heard anything about her being transparent or full-bodied, so I don't know if they try to talk to her as if she's a member of the staff or another guest, and then they're like, wow, that person's rude, or if they do notice that she's a ghost and try to wave their hands around, or they get spooked and she doesn't even seem to care that they've gotten spooked. Not exactly sure what those interactions entail. One of the most common reports comes from male guests who claim to be kissed in the middle of the night by someone they can't see. So hopefully it's a good kisser. Could this be the woman in white or could it be one of the other ghosts that are haunting this location? Because there is another female ghost here for sure. and She has been described as an Amish housekeeper. She's brusque and usually is seen on the stairway and passes by guests who think of her as rude since she doesn't respond to their requests. The guests will go up to the innkeepers and complain about the housekeeper only to be told that no such woman is employed by the inn. There are legends connected to the mansion that I'm not sure of their historical accuracy, but I figured we'll go ahead and share them with you, and they might help to explain the hauntings, because one thing that was clear to me as I researched the history here, it doesn't seem to me that anybody died in this house. So why it would be so haunted, I don't know. That's when you start saying, well, what was here before the house? Because the people who loved this house or owned this house didn't die here. 
Maybe they came back to it. I don't know. Benjamin might have been like, I didn't get to spend time in this house. I died too soon. So he came back to it. That's always a possibility. But maybe some of these legends might explain some things. It has been said that the mansion is built on the ruins of another structure that had been lost to a fire and that a couple had been trapped inside. There's also another story about a woman who was named Sarah. She took pity on Civil War soldiers and took them into her home. This could be where that story about a fire comes from, where there were these this couple who were trapped in the house and got burned up. Because Sarah took in Confederates, too. And a militia came upon the house, and they were enraged to see that she was also taking care of Confederates. At the time, she had just one Confederate soldier in there. They come in. They tied up both Sarah and the Confederate soldier. And then they burned the house. So I don't know if these are two separate stories or if the couple that was burned up happened to be Sarah and this Confederate soldier. No one knew the name of the soldier until they saw it written in the dirt after the fire. The name Ed was written in the dirt. Another story told about this earlier house was that a couple lived here and the husband was sent off to fight in the war. He returns home to find his wife in bed with another man and he kills them both before killing himself. This scene is said to replay itself in the mansion that was built over their home. Guests who've stayed here and some of the employees also report mysterious lights flickering and weird sounds. And in the words of Michelle Thompson, who had been one of the Shank's innkeepers, there are things that just happen. The Shank Mansion is a beautiful historic bed and breakfast that offers wonderful luxury. With these tales of supernatural occurrences, it would seem that some previous residents of this home or area are reluctant to leave. Is the Benjamin Shank Mansion bed and breakfast haunted? That is for you to decide. In the process of researching this, I came across the original VV Ghost Tour. Now, I believe they only offer these ghost tours during the month of October. If you're in the southern Indiana area, maybe it's something you'd like to check out. I do have details in the show notes. Basically, they say they are the original VV Ghost Tour. You can learn about the history, haunts, and spooky happenings from days gone by and up to current experiences. Tours are October 26th and 28th in 2018. They start at 7 p.m. from the VV Vintage Prop and Shop, and tickets are $32 per person, and I have a phone number there that you can call in order to get a hold of those tickets. And they recommend that you get them in advance because the tours are kind of held to a smaller number, and they only have a certain number of tickets for that. They hit four locations throughout town and walk about one and a half to two miles. And the tour takes between two and a half and three hours. So that's a long tour. You're definitely going to get your money's worth. And uh, they share all kinds of great stories. Now, I believe that the four locations that they hit, don't quote me on this, do not include the Shank Mansion. So I don't know if it's kind of off in the distance and so it's somewhere that they can't get to on the tour. They do hit the historic Hoosier Theater. This was built in 1837 and was originally meant to be a warehouse and store. Over the years, it was used as a saddlery, a post office, a tavern, and the offices of the VV newspaper. Today, it is a 225-seat theater, and it became that in 1926. It was abandoned in 1955 and sat vacant until 1983, when Historic VV Inc., a not-for-profit corporation, was formed to purchase and restore the building. And the theater has been listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1982, and it reopened in 1987 and continues to operate as a theater today. I don't know any of the haunts there. I tried to find out. Don't know. There's also Forgotten Memories Antiques, which apparently is haunted. The old jail is apparently haunted. And Julian Knox House Gift Shop. 
The Julian Knox house was built in 1870 and sits along the main street. It's three stories tall and named for Julian Knox, who inherited the property from her parents. She was a historian and direct descendant of one of the families that founded VV. The house is now a gift shop that was reopened in 2016 as a family-owned and operated business. And I'm betting that Julian Knox is probably one of the ghosts that's haunting it. So that definitely would be something very cool to check out. So if you want to do that, I have a link in the show notes so that you can get your tickets. Encourage you to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send me some feedback or any of your haunting experiences, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I want to thank Christy for sending me some email. I absolutely loved what you had to say to me. And she shared with me that she had weird encounters in a couple of her childhood homes. So I am looking forward to hearing all about those weird encounters. And she listens to podcasts all day while she's cleaning. So we have something very much in common there because that's what I do too. Have a couple of reviews to share from Apple Podcasts. First one is Mindy0007. Very intriguing and great hospitality. Five stars. I love how this show explores the history and stories of the spirits that remain in haunted locations. I feel very welcome and connected to the show and love the sense of community that the hosts provide for their listeners of and on the podcast. Well, thank you, Mindy, and we are happy to have you with us. And Christy I, 1987, awesome five stars. Absolutely love this podcast. Thank you. It's that simple to leave a review for the show. I greatly appreciate it. We got a whole bunch of five stars as well. So thank you to all of you who just come by and give us those stars because I greatly appreciate that too. You don't have to necessarily leave a review to make a difference in getting us noticed out there. One thing that I would love for everybody to do to help the podcast grow, especially with Halloween coming up here, you're going to have a lot of friends and family out there going, hey, do you have any spooky stuff to listen to? Share History Goes Bump with them. I would absolutely love to get a lot more listeners and have more people join us in the Spooktacular crew and just get this thing growing, growing, growing. I would greatly appreciate that. I also appreciate all of you tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the cemetery, Heather Dufresne and Mindy Hull. You both are going to be getting chest tombs. Welcome, ladies. And Julia Miller, thank you for increasing your pledge. You are now going to be getting a marble headstone. Break channel 13, you are going to be getting a niche wall. Uh-oh, the number 13. Yes, Mort, that was channel 13. You're not superstitious, are you? When you believe in things you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Oh, a black kitty. Here, kitty kitty. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.